You're listening to Regulatory Fishing, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight and hosted by government contracts and cybersecurity attorney, Eric Kruchis. This series will analyze the latest cybersecurity news for the government contracting industry. From reviewing the Department of Defense and how national security shapes cybersecurity requirements to insights from industry leaders on the ever-changing landscape of cybersecurity, this podcast will help government contracting professionals hack into the latest cybersecurity developments around the world. Welcome to the fifth episode of Regulatory Fishing. With me today is Jeremy Burkhardt, an attorney in our government contracts group. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So we're going to talk today about the TikTok ban. Jeremy is the co-author of two blog posts about the government contracting TikTok ban. I had the pleasure of watching a presentation he did just a short while ago on the ban. I thought it was very comprehensive, and I thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast to talk about it. Before we get into the nuances of the TikTok ban, I thought it'd be really good to kind of provide a little bit of a background on how we got here. As some of our listeners may know, a number of years ago in the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act, Congress passed a ban or a partial ban, I should say, on software and services from Kaspersky Labs, a Russian-based company, or at least a company that had Russian ties to it. It didn't necessarily have ties to the Russian government, but there were certain laws, as Congress was arguing, within Russia that would allow Russian government to access information collected by Kaspersky. And that was the basis, at least the stated basis of the partial ban, which prohibited the provision of Kaspersky to the government or the use of Kaspersky on deliverables that were eventually provided to the government. And that had a kind of a long lasting impact on Kaspersky where their antivirus software was fairly popular within the United States before that time. The popularity has waned a lot of it, I think, because of the government intervention and the, you know, the stated purpose of the ban, which was because there was concerns about the security of the software vis-a-vis the Russian government. Kaspersky did challenge that ban in court, and that challenge and the appeal failed. And then seeing that success, I guess you could say, Congress followed up the next year in 2019, National Defense Authorization Act with the Chinese tech ban led by Huawei, but covering four other companies along the way, including ZTE, Hikvision, among others. And this ban, again, is not a full-on ban of everything these companies do, but connected with telecommunications services and products. The stated purpose of this ban was because of their ties to the Chinese government, particularly the Chinese military. And the government saw this as a threat. So it implemented this ban through the statute, which eventually made its way to the federal acquisition regulation, much like the Kaspersky ban also. If you're interested in learning more about the Chinese tech ban, you can look at FAR 52204-24, Dash 25, and Dash 26. The Dash 25 clause is the ban itself, where the Dash 24 and 26 clauses are the certification clauses. That has been around now for a few years now. We're operating under a final interim rule, and we expect a final rule to come out sometime in the future. It's been kind of pending for a while now. Congress kind of got tired of these one-off bans in the National Defense Authorization Act. So they created the Federal Acquisition Security Council a year later, the end of 2020, I believe. And that council, their job is to kind of look at sources and products and services for relative security. And if there is a lack of security or ties to a government that is seen as a frenemy, so to speak, then to consider banning them. And there's a whole process within 
that council that does that. There's a final interim rule in place with respect to the Federal Acquisition Security Council, and we're awaiting a final rule, and that should come out pretty soon. Implementing that, I expect we'll have a podcast (laughs) episode on that when that happens. But you didn't come to hear a history of Congress or history of nation-state bans, but I thought it was good background. So we hear about the latest version of this, which is the TikTok ban, which is what it's called, but it's it's an application from ByteDance. And ByteDance is the company, the Chinese-based company that has created and has put TikTok into the app store for various cell phone, I guess you could say app stores. So with that introduction, Jeremy, again, welcome. How are you? Doing well, Eric. And, and I actually did come here to hear a, a history of nation-state bans. Well, grab a cup of coffee and have a seat. Here we go. No, <laughs> I appreciate that. I really am fascinated by this because, first of all, I think it's the first time we've seen a ban in government contracting on a particular app. In fact, I could feel fairly confident saying that because I don't know we have any FAR clauses that deal with apps. It's kind of just the latest in this push and pull between the United States and Chinese governments. You know, we had word that the Chinese government was banning iPhones for certain uses in China, not be surprised if that was a reaction to this TikTok ban. I'm fascinated by that aspect, and I'm fascinated by the kind of the push and pull of the language within the FAR clause itself. It doesn't seem to be written as clearly as it could be. I think that's caused confusion in the marketplace also. Kind of a a fascinating look at the geopolitical place we are right now that has been really forced into the FAR, into the Federal Acquisition Regulation. So Jeremy, I was wondering if you could kind of give an overview of what this TikTok ban is. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you bring up a good point and, you know, the way that that this whole thing kind of got started is just there was this concern about TikTok and how it was being used. And of course, you know, TikTok is is owned by ByteDance. And as you said, ByteDance is a Chinese corporation. And, you know, there's basically two major concerns that politicians had with it. Number one is the concern that is being used for propaganda and very selective uh, censoring. So, you know, there's been, you know, confirmed instances where TikTok will censor stuff related to Tibet or Tiananmen Square or anything that really could make it look bad, like Chinese human rights abuses. So there was that concern. And then, you know, politicians were also very concerned about basically the Chinese government weaponizing TikTok in order to do spying or influencing operations. And that kind of came about, you know, fairly recently. And I think a large part of it was due to ByteDance actually confirmed recently that it, it had, in fact, you know, used the app to monitor the physical location of a few U.S. journalists. These journalists worked for Forbes, previously worked for BuzzFeed, but they were reporting on the basically close links between the Chinese government and TikTok. And, you know, asserting that the Chinese government was kind of like controlling TikTok. And so they were doing these stories on that. Part of the reason that their stories were profound was because they actually had internal like dialogue, audio recordings from meetings at TikTok and ByteDance. And they were given those by a TikTok employee, like a whistleblower. So ByteDance did this internal investigation to try to identify the source of the leak. And in order to do that, they used the app to detect the physical location of these journalists to try to figure out if they were ever near particular TikTok or ByteDance employees. And that investigation, it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't something done just by a, a few rogue employees at ByteDance. It was actually sanctioned by the highest levels of the company, including like the legal compliance officers. So, you know, there's some very real concerns that Chinese government could, you know, use the app to basically spy on American users. Very interesting. And it leads to this FAR clause here, which has been the source of consternation for many. So the FAR clause comes from late 2022. Congress passed a law, the, the No TikTok on Government Devices Act. It was part of the 2023 NDAA. You know, that basically said that you couldn't have a ByteDance app. So either ByteDance or anything owned by ByteDance, or in this case, TikTok is, is generally the, the app that's being talked about. But you couldn't have that app on any information technology. And the definition of information technology was pulled from a statute, 40 USC 11101, subparagraph six. And you know, that that meant any equipment used by the an executive agency directly or used by a contractor under a contract with the agency that either required the use of that equipment or required the use of that equipment to a significant extent in the performance of a service or furnishing of a product. So Congress passed this law that you couldn't have TikTok on any federal information technology. The law was actually like unanimous passed. So in, in the Senate, there was no opposition to it. It literally was unanimous. And the law said that the Office of Management and Budget had like 60 days to issue a rule that was that affected that statute. So in February, the, the OMB came out with a memo directing all agencies to identify the use or presence of TikTok on federal IT, remove and disallow installations of it, and prohibit internet traffic from federal IT to TikTok. So it, again, it didn't specifically use the term TikTok, but it, it defined a covered application as TikTok or anything owned by dance. Fascinating. And it's kind of amazing that it happened this quickly too. I mean, we just had the statute, you said late last year, and we are already operating under a FAR clause, essentially. Is this a final interim rule or proposed rule or a final rule? What status is it right now? OMB memo came out February 27th, and then the FAR Council issued an interim rule on June 2nd, uh, 2023. And so that FAR clause was FAR 52.204-27, prohibition on a ByteDance covered application. So it's an interim rule. They took comments on it. The comment period ended on August 1st. So we'll see you know, what the final rule looks like because you know, there's definitely some some ambiguities and some language in the FAR clause that could be clarified. Have you um, had any clients or have heard of folks seeing this rule pop up in existing contracts or new contracts yet? Yeah. In fact, this clause is is sweeping. Like it cover, it's, it's in every single federal contract that there is. It, it doesn't, the language doesn't have any limitation on, you know, this only should be in contracts above the simplified acquisition threshold. Even in contracts that are, you know, below the micro purchase threshold, like government purchase cards, that those conceivably, based on the language of the clause, would include FAR 52.204-27. And then, you know, you have other agencies like GSA, right? They handle all the federal leases. You know, normally FAR clauses don't apply to GSA leases. The only FAR clauses that apply to GSA leases are those that GSA itself decides apply. And so in this case, GSA actually included, you know, published a lease alert saying this FAR clause now applies to all federal leases. 
So yeah, th- this clause is everywhere. So it has broad application. And one thing I know we've talked about internally is the difference between how broad it should be interpreted or how broad the Congress wants it interpreted versus how broad the clause is interpreted or could be interpreted. I was wondering if you could kind of walk through the dichotomy there as far as where the government probably wants folks to do versus what the clause allows for folks to do. Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's some of it's ambiguous and it's ambiguous as it relates to contractors, right? So, you know, there's no dispute that information technology is going to cover any equipment that's used or owned by a, a federal agency right? The computers, the phones, the fax machines. I mean, any any type of IT that federal agency uses or owns is, is covered by this clause. So agencies have already taken steps to make sure that none of their IT can access TikTok, whether it's the app or it's the website. But then the reach of information technology also includes contractors' equipment. So even if it's not equipment that's owned or used by agency personnel, the definition of information technology, again, as you know, going back as it's defined in, in 40 USC 11101, and th- that same definition is now in the FAR clause itself. So, you know, just looking at 52.24-27, it defines information technology to include equipment used by a contractor under a contract with the executive agency that either requires the use of that equipment or requires the use of that equipment to a significant extent in the performance of a service or the furnishing of a product. The definition, right, of information technology, it's only supposed to be items that the contractor has that are either specifically required by the contract, like it's explicitly stated in the contract, or implicitly it's required to a significant extent in order to perform the service or furnish the product. Right. So the definition is kind of supposed to be limited based off what, you know, Congress said in the No TikTok on Government Devices Act and then as affected by the OMB memo. But then when the FAR Council issued the FAR clause, it unfortunately kind of added some language that is kind of strange. And I think it's, it's language that's going to lead to, you know, potential misinterpretations by some contracting officers. And just to, uh, you know, to highlight that new language, Let me pull it up here. Go for it. So for the first time in the FAR clause, there's a reference to equipment that's provided by the contractor's employees, right? And that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you never have a contract with the federal government where the federal government's saying, hey, contractor, you're required to have your employees bring equipment. If there's going to be equipment that's required to perform the contract, yeah, the contractor might need to have certain equipment, but there's no reason that the contractor's employees would need to have that equipment. So that language was added to the, the prohibition in the FAR clause. The specific sentence, it says the contractor is prohibited from having or using a covered application on any information technology owned or managed by the government on any information technology used or provided by the contractor under this contract, including equipment provided by the contractor's employees. So it, you know, it's essentially surplusage because if it just said you can't have a covered application on any information technology, that, that's all it would need to say. Just like that's all that was said in the OMB memo and in the enacting statute, the No TikTok on Government Devices Act. This reference to equipment provided by the contractor 
employees has caused a lot of clients to question exactly what they need to do to comply with this clause. What are some examples of different ways that this could be interpreted kind of more specifically as far as bring your own devices, things like that? The FAR Council only has the power to regulate what Congress said it can regulate, right? So if you go back to the No TikTok on Government Devices Act, all that the federal government should be able to do here is to police TikTok that's on information technology, which is either equipment expressly required by the contract or required to a significant extent implicitly in performing the contract. But because there's been this reference to equipment provided by the contractor's employees, then it gets into this question of, well, you know, is the government going to be enforcing this by saying that if employees, they have a cell phone and it's like a bring your own device program where they're accessing email on their cell phone, are they now subject to this TikTok prohibition because they're using their personal equipment to help them perform a contract? And then when you look at the Federal Register notice, when the interim rule was announced, the FAR Council published it. And as part of that process, they, there's a Federal Register notice. That's what comes along with the FAR clause saying, hey, we're putting this out. And so there's a discussion and an analysis section in there. And again, you know, they, they have, there's some troubling language in here where they say this prohibition applies to devices regardless of whether the device is owned by the government, the contractor, or the contractor employees. And then it gives an example, says, e.g., employee-owned devices that are used as part of an employer bring-your-own-device program. And it goes on to say that a personally used cell phone that is not used in the performance of the contract is not subject to the prohibition. The way they frame that, a personal cell phone not used in the performance of the contract is not subject to the prohibition. Well, what's the, the converse of that? A personal cell phone that is used in the performance of a contract is subject to the prohibition? So that language is confusing, right? Because number one, personal devices are never going to be required to perform the contract, right? It's never going to be in the contract. A contractor has to have their employees bring their own devices. And it's really never going to be implicitly required either because the contractor could could perform without using employee equipment. You know, the contractor could issue their employees their own equipment. So it really doesn't make any sense that there would be all these references to personally owned devices. And then when it's saying, you know, it's giving an example of personal cell phone that's that would not be covered, but it's saying it's not used in performance of the contract. So if a personal device is used to any extent, is that now going to be covered by this ban? And so that's just, it's, it's very unclear. So there's basically two ways to interpret this. You know, number one, you go, you know, strictly with the definition of information technology and basically the, the power that Congress gave the FAR Council to regulate you know, it really wouldn't involve employee devices. Unless there, there's a reference to employee devices in the contract, you wouldn't need to worry about employee devices having access to TikTok. The second way to look at this is a more conservative approach. Basically, you're saying there's, there's two concerns that we have. Number one, there's the concern that the government wants to regulate TikTok broadly, and they don't really care about the power that Congress gave. And I think that's a that's a legitimate concern. I mean, you you have to look at kind of like the background of all this. And Congress and the and the Biden administration have have actually tried to ban TikTok 
for everybody, not just for contractors, but for all American citizens. So they, you know, there was this bipartisan proposal called the, the Restrict Act that, you know, would essentially allow the Biden administration to ban TikTok. And so that was proposed in the early part of 2023. You know, they called the ByteDance CEO to a subcommittee to testify. The Biden administration came out and said that they supported this Restrict Act. And so it was actually expected that there was going to be a broad ban on TikTok nationwide. But the effort stalled because the the language in the Restrict Act doesn't even mention ByteDance or TikTok by name. So it's extremely broad. And that brought along concerns that essentially the government could use it to criminalize any type of information technology uh, or apps or internet activity that it just didn't agree with. So... Um, I, I say all that just to kind of give the listener the, the background here that because the Biden administration hasn't been able to regulate TikTok as broadly as it would like to, you know, this, the language of this FAR clause might be an attempt to sort of basically acquire some of that power through FAR rather than through legislation as it had hoped. So that's one concern. And then the other concern is just because you have all this extra language in the FAR clause, that doesn't need to be there. You know, these references to employees' personal devices, the language in the Federal Register notice. You know, that's that's all stuff that is either conflicting with the definition of information technology or it's just unnecessary surplusage. But because it's there, you know, individual contracting officers that are attempting to enforce this clause may innocently believe that all this equipment is supposed to be regulated, in which case they will you know, assert, hey, any any personal devices of employees that are being used on the federal contract can't have access to TikTok. Those are the two ways to basically approach compliance with the clause. Number one, you know, going with a strict interpretation of, of what the FAR Council actually has the power to regulate. Or number two, going with a risk-averse approach where you just want to make sure that you're never going to run, run afoul of anything the government does, even if it's mistaken in, in their enforcement approach. It's very well said, Jeremy. And I imagine kind of, we're not giving out advice here in this podcast, but I imagine kind of the direction, the advice that you would give or, or folks working in this area, or I would give is it would just be dependent on the contractor, their risk proposition for this aversion to risk and other geopolitical things that they're facing at the time. Do you think that's right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a completely a situational dependent issue. So for companies that are very large or companies that have a workforce where, you know, it involves a lot of younger employees, people who actually care about using TikTok on their personal device, you know, those companies definitely would probably resist applying this this clause broadly to all of their personal devices that are being used in contract performance. Uh, on the other hand, a smaller contractor, one that as employees who don't care about using TikTok, it's like it really doesn't harm them at all just to just to issue a broad policy in order to, to protect themselves from the possibility of any issues. There's other considerations too, like a company's ability to handle risk, you know, basically their their assets. So the, it, it kind of comes down to a can a contractor afford to deal with government regulation in this manner. So if the government thinks that a company is violating this clause, there'll be an investigation. There could be potential administrative sanctions, maybe a poor performance evaluation. 
potentially a termination due to breach of contract, suspension and debarment, a government claim against the contractor if there's alleged damages for violation of this clause. And, you know, at the far end, if the government believes the contractor basically intentionally or recklessly disregarded this clause, there could be a false claims act. Now, if the contractor basically complied with this clause according to the strict definition of information technology, then, you know, at the end of the day, they will prevail on whatever investigation or administrative sanction they're facing because there's always the path to, to litigation to remedy those that government overreach. But it, it goes back to, you know, Ben Franklin saying, right, a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So does the client want to have to spend the time and money to get to that place to vindicate themselves? Or from the get-go, do they just want to make sure that they're not going to have any issues and never put themselves in that position? So, you know, when the, the client's deciding on the, the particular type of approach, you know, the consideration is, how will we be able to handle if the government tries to enforce this broadly? The interesting thing, and these are all terrific points uh, I should mention, but an interesting thing is that there's no certification, separate certification requirement for this provision like there is for, for instance, the Chinese tech ban. Or, and there's no disclosure requirement either if you know the Chinese tech ban FAR clause requires notice to the government if the contractor is found to you know, use those products as services or provide them to the government, you know, in contra to the clause. There's not that here. Would, would you argue that contractors still have a responsibility to tell the government or is it really circumstantial and dependent on, on the use and, and how it's discovered, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think if they're, if they discovered a violation of it, you know, if it, if it actually impacted contract performance, I think they would have a, a duty to disclose it to the government. If it's something that there was no tangible impact. I don't think they would need to disclose it to the government, but that brings up a good issue of like, how is the government ever going to discover a violation? And I think it would largely be happenstance. So, you know, somehow somebody within the government witnesses a contractor, you know, accessing TikTok. I can also see a scenario where there is some type of data breach or hack and in the investigation into that, the government learns that you know, there was a access to TikTok permitted. But aside, you know, the, the other thing too, potentially, I think is a False Claims Act, you know, whistleblowers, a, a key TAM suit where, you know, an employee basically thinks that for whatever reason, their employer isn't following this clause. And so I think that it can come to light that way as well. But outside of those circumstances, I'm not sure this is really going to be something that, that's going to be easily detected by the government. But contractors still have to comply with the rule. And so, you know, they still need to make sure that they have some type of policy that they can point to that's saying, hey, we're doing our part to, you know, follow the law. Makes a lot of sense. It certainly puts the contractor in an interesting position to try to figure out, you know, what the best course is, because it's not a defined course that's the best course necessarily in the implementation or living with the clause if there is an incident or, or an issue or they discover that there's something happening that is contrary to the language of the clause. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you are seeing out there with respect to this clause or anything else that you'd want to mention? You know, obviously best practices, I think companies need to immediately make sure they're in compliance with the clause for all, all of their company information technology, whether they want to apply this to personal devices. I think, again, it, talks, it depends on some of the things we talked about, like risk tolerance, culture of the company, 
their ability to handle, you know, any government overreach that might occur. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, there definitely needs to be a policy that's put forth to comply with the clause. And, you know, I think employees need to be required to acknowledge that they're complying with that clause. I, d- I don't recommend intrusive things like actual inspections of phones and things of that nature. But as most, I think as most employers know at this point, there is technology out there that helps with protecting data. They have these, this thing called a container management features where you can basically on a, on a personal device, on a cell phone, you can basically separate work apps from personal apps. And I think that's a great way to, to try to comply with this clause where on any work apps like Teams messaging or Outlook or email or anything like that, when you're in those work apps, you can't use personal apps like TikTok. That's a good practice regardless of this clause because you're just protecting your data, making it less less likely to be at risk. So I think that makes sense. And, I, and obviously also, I think you need to have a companies need to have a, a written policy and they need to have employees acknowledging the policy. Well, I really appreciate you joining us for this and really great to hear from you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Regulatory Fishing. For more information on the topics covered in today's episode, please email eric.crucius at hklaw.com or visit hklaw.com forward slash cybersecurity.